I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. This is Brian, and I am so excited to have you with me here today. I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. We are going to be speaking with Gina Horky. Gina is a married millennial mama to two precocious kiddos from Minnesota. Additionally, she's the founder of Horky Handbook, and that's a website geared towards helping others find or become a great virtual assistant. Gina's background includes making a living as a professional writer, as an online business marketing consultant, and a decade of experience in the financial services industry. I already know there's a lot that I want to ask her about, so I'm really anticipating this conversation. Without further ado, let's jump in and meet Gina Horky. And we are joined today by Gina Horky from HorkyHandbook.com. Thank you so much for being with us, Gina. You bet. I'm excited. I'm excited as well to have you on and to learn a little bit about what you do. So maybe we can just start off with that. Can you give me and our audience an over an overview of what you do to help people? Yeah. Um, so Horky Handbook is a website geared towards helping people to either find or to become a kick-ass virtual assistant. And we define virtual assistants as people that have skills and services that they want to offer in return for pay from a client, um, a small business owner, an entrepreneur that needs them, that needs that help and support. And it can be done virtually or from wherever. Perfect. I would like to learn more about that, but before we get there, I would like to ask you about your journey. How did you get to this point in time where you are offering this service and helping people in this way? Of course. Um, It's kind of always a a fun one to unpack. Um, And I challenge everyone to write out kind of their journey and how they got to this point. Because when you look back and you do some reflection, you realize that um, choices that you made, mistakes or failures actually, you know, build into where you're at today and where you're going in the future. And so uh, personally, I don't think that there is such a thing as failure. It's just all learning blocks to get you where you're ultimately going. And for career or business, there's not really an end destination just like with life, right? There might be a point of arrival as far as building something maybe that you can sell or reaching a certain revenue amount or something like that. Um, But I'm pleasantly enjoying the journey and open to kind of what comes in the future. Now, how I got here, um, I actually have a background educationally in psychology, which I feel like serves as a good basis for most career types, especially sales and working with people. Um, And when I graduated from college, I had worked for this weight loss center while I was in college. And then I took over managing a center. And it was kind of fun because um, it hadn't been managed properly. And I was like, 19 years old and I was able to take it from where it was to doing month over month and year over year growth. Um, and I was actually, I think 11 out of 12 months, I was the top center director in 
the region that we had, which uh, was quite an accomplishment, and especially being so young. But unfortunately, wow. the company had home offices in California. And so I really was at a ceiling already at like 19. It was crazy. Um, but that led me into the next stage of my journey. I actually ended up getting my real estate license, which I didn't really use, um, but it was great education. And then I moved into the financial planning space and I was an advisor as well as a support person, uh, for about a decade before I started Horky Hambuck. And again, you know, that wasn't something that I was passionate enough to do until my own retirement. So I was like 30 when I decided to make the change. And I was staring at like another 30 years and doing kind of the same types of things. I loved working with clients. I loved doing financial planning and projections and all of that good stuff. I didn't so much like uh, all of the hoops you had to jump through from a compliance perspective and the streams of paperwork that were always a part of the day. Plus, at that point, at least, it wasn't super flexible to be able to kind of do your work from anywhere. I think some people have built that into their practices over time, um, but pros and cons to, to being able to do that as well because it's a highly regulated industry. Industry. But I learned a ton about, you know, um, interviewing clients and them interviewing me. I learned a ton about marketing and how to get in touch with people and build effective relationships. All of those things I was able to carry with me. Um, so six years ago, our second child was born and I was in finance and I supported this small family run practice that was very profitable. And then I had my own small practice as well. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I got to figure out something different because it's just not passion filled. I'm kind of like, we're kind of getting to the point where, um, I really have to motivate myself to go to work because right. I wasn't super excited to be there, even though the people were wonderful and it was on paper, a really great opportunity I could provide for my family. I only actually worked four days a week and it was like super close to home. So, so uh, I started looking into alternative options and I came across freelance writing for the web. I didn't even know it was a thing that people got paid decent money to write blog posts and website copy and sales funnels and all of this fun stuff that I actually um, had some skills and talent in. And so that's where HorkyHandbook.com was at initially launched is just a place to house my own writing sample. So I had a portfolio to put out there in front of clients. And uh, then from there, I added on a couple of kind of virtual assistant clients that I offered customer support and email management to. I fell into kind of the tech entrepreneur space. Those were my clients, which if you had known me at the time was laughable because it was not my strong suit. <laughs> but again, I learned so much. Like I can talk to people about Scrum and Agile and JavaScript and React and programming languages. I mean, I, I can't do them necessarily, but I know enough they are. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so from there, everybody started asking me like how I was doing what I was doing. Cause I had quit my job. I had sold my small financial planning practice and, uh, you know, this whole remote work, uh, and throwback to entrepreneurship is really big right now. And, and most people want more flexibility and control. They want to, you know, put in as much effort and get a return back versus maybe just having that set salary. And it doesn't really matter how hard you work and the results that you get, you get the same payday at the end of the week or month. And so it's been a fun transition into being able to teach people how to start their own businesses and learn new skills that are in high demand in the current marketplace. What made you feel comfortable making the leap to writing? Because I don't hear that and your job journey, at least your professional journey, was it skills from your education, just something you enjoy doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I had been an avid reader since I probably got my hands on my first book and knew how to decipher it to myself, right? And so being a voracious reader, I think just kind of sharpens your writing skills. And I didn't have a journalism background or anything like that. I had played around as a hobby with writing a non or a fiction novel, um, that sort of thing. But I just knew that I had decent writing chops. I was fairly creative. I'm able to communicate pretty succinctly, which is also really important. And I started to really understand what did well content wise on the web. Um, and I think my sales background really helped with the copywriting aspects as well is, you know, communicating clearly, succinctly, getting people's attention and helping them to take some kind of action as a result. So it was honestly just something that appealed to me as uh, a passion that I could turn into profit. And then it kind of advanced from there. How did you connect with people who needed your services? Oh, I hustled. I did everything from pitching to job boards where people would list a, a posting. I joined sites like Upwork, um, whatever it was in the past. I did in-person networking and just, you know, tapped into my existing network online, social media. Um, I was always, I have this phrase I like to use with our community and students, always be marketing. So I was always on the lookout for an opportunity and I have been trained well to kind of listen to and spot opportunities and be able to, you know, strike up a conversation around them that's not overly salesy and promotional on my own end. But identifying really needs and then kind of pitching myself as a solution was really helpful. And then over time, um, you know, you establish a reputation and you get referrals. That's kind of the end goal for a lot of people, that point of arrival of people coming in to ask you to work for them. Right. Right. So what was that like from a fear basis, for lack of a better word, uh, to leave something that is steady and there, even if you don't necessarily love, love it, for Mm -hmm. for an unknown? Yeah. You know, I had um, a decent amount of fear, but the other thing that was really challenging for me is I had made this commitment to my clients and really told, you know, all of my friends and family knew that I was a financial advisor and that I had dedicated myself to that career. And so I had more trouble giving myself permission to make a career change than anything else. And boy, am I glad that I did it. It was the best decision that I made. Um, because now I realize that you don't have to just do one thing forever. And I'm really entrepreneurial. I'm interested in other types of businesses. And so I'm pretty sure that I'll continue to run Horky Handbook for a very long period of time, but it's not the only niche and area that I'm interested in. And it's great to see how the skills I've learned can transfer into other business opportunities as well. Uh, so I guess I had fear of like, telling people that I wanted to change and kind of admitting defeat is how it felt. It wasn't at all true. It was all up in my own head. Um, And then when it came to putting myself out there for hire and being new in the industry and things like that, I did kind of take inventory of my skills and my past experience, which, you know, I have done a fair amount of cool things and gotten results in all of the different positions that I had kind of a, one of those high achiever type A type of people. And so I kind of, just faked it until I made it. You know, I really tried to work on my mindset. So I tuned into stories like Stephen King is a great example. He, you know, this is back before the internets, he would have a nail that was above his typewriter on his desk and every rejection letter that he got from submitting a manuscript, he would stack on that nail one on top of another. 
And instead of looking at that pile of letters as a bunch of shame and failure, he looked at it as I'm getting closer to making it. Every letter that I put on this stack, the thicker that it gets, I'm getting closer to a yes. And so mindset is just so powerful when it comes to starting and growing a business. Um, if you are always looking at the worst case scenario, it's very easy to quit. I try to condition people instead to think about the best possible outcome. It's one of those shoot for the stars, you might land on the moon type of thing. And I've seen that in my own business time and time again. So I'll try and ignore worst case scenario and I'll instead think about like minimum viable uh, results. So what would I say? Okay, I had this product launch or whatever and we got X many enrollments in our course. You know, what's the minimum that I would consider it, I guess, a success? Where's the maximum that it would be a like hit it out of the park type of success? And where's somewhere in the middle that we can be happy with the results uh, and encouraged by what we've accomplished. So typically when you kind of set those three levels, um, you know, you're doing the work to try and get to the maximum results, the hit it out of the park stuff, but you'll land somewhere in between the middle and that end. I like that. It's a great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. I come from the financial services world myself. I don't know how much you know about my story, but it's sort of very similar, actually. I left a nice job where everything was comfortable and I built up a strong reputation and a certain amount of achievement for the unknown to go on my own as, in my case, a business consultant, focusing on workplace culture, leadership, etc. And it takes a certain amount of humility to go mm-hmm. from achievement to that beginner mindset again. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, and something else that I was going to mention as a response to the initial question that you asked was, you know, the fear part of it. One of the things that I did that I had to really do in my circumstances. So um, my husband had quit his job to become a stay-at-home dad. We had um, two kids that were 19 months apart and our youngest wasn't even a year old. So I was still like nursing her and stuff like that. And so I couldn't like up and quit my job. We didn't have really a fallback if I had done that. And so I was very strategic about building it on the side of my full-time job. So I would get up at like four o'clock in the morning. I'm more of a morning person than a night owl. So that's why it made sense for me to kind of get in my creative time right when I was fresh. And then I would work for a couple hours. I would nurse the baby, get ready for work, go to my day job. And then I'd be able to be at home with my family in the evenings. And I, I worked some weekends. Um, you know, I mentioned that I had a four day work week. And so I would work on Fridays on my business as well. And that allowed me to be very efficient because I only had 10, maybe 20 hours a week max that I could put forth effort. Uh, and that meant I wasn't going to like dilly daddle around because there's no way that you can get results if you're just like making excuses not to put yourself out there for hire or pitching or whatever. And, um, so I was able to build this income on the side of what I was used to bringing in, which I then saved. And, um, at, so I started looking into it on tax day of 2014. May is when I actually kind of hung my business shingle and put myself out there for hire, had my website up and I landed, I think two clients before the end of May. And in June I got paid from them by September. I was earning like $4,000 a month on the side of my full-time job from probably working part-time hours, somewhere between those 10 and 20 a week. Um, and the cost of living is different everywhere. So I don't know if you're in Manhattan You said New York City, right? No, I'm upstate New York. Oh, you're upstate. Okay. So probably not as expensive as being 
in Manhattan, but (laughs) cost of living is definitely something that varies everywhere. And, um, you know, we had been accustomed to a lower lifestyle and I don't know that that's the right term, but we were very kind of careful about our, our output with expenses because we had gone from a dual income household to, to just me. So I think that also set us up for success in a way because we had minimal expenses that we needed to pay on a monthly basis. And then I'd save this money and then I had this little practice to sell. And so it was actually within eight months of even looking into it in the first place that I had uh, left my job and I was full time on my own. That's great. That's an inspiring story. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Let's talk about the VA business a little bit. Who should should think about hiring a virtual assistant? Well, if you are a small business owner, medium-sized business owner, entrepreneur, uh, and you are looking not necessarily to build an in-person team and have a, you know, full-time or part-time employees, virtual assistants can be a great fit for you. Um, you can get people that have more generalized skills and knowledge, or you could go after skill specific, more people that specialize in specific skills. Um, so I run a team between two different businesses right now of probably about a dozen people. Um, and we have people that do social media strategy and they're specialized on the different platforms rather than having one jack of all trades. We have somebody that manages our blog and writes content. Uh, we have somebody that does graphic design for us. I have a bookkeeper. I work with a CPA. They don't necessarily consider themselves virtual assistants, but I'm working with both of them virtually because they don't live in the same state that I do. Um, and you know, it's, great because you can build a business utilizing contractors. And of course, there's specific definitions on irs.gov if you're in the United States on who is considered an employee and who is considered a contractor. The biggest thing with a contractor, obviously, is that you're not having to pay self-employment taxes, benefits, vacation, sick time, all of that good stuff. And you can really arrange your payment type and relationship in a multitude of different ways. It can be hourly. It could be a retainer model. Uh, the big distinction between an employee and a self uh, and a contractor is going to be whether or not um, you are delegating exactly what needs to be done, exactly when it needs to be done, uh, versus somebody that you're contracting with that has an understanding of the services that you need delivered and can kind of do them on their own time. And there's not that I guess strictness of schedule in place and and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So with a VA or contractor, you're more worried about the results and they figure out how to get the results to you. Well, so you have to figure out what are your business needs, right? So if you're a small business owner, entrepreneur, we really have a million different hats. So I was just explaining some of the needs in my business, everything from marketing to finances to, you know, website stuff, sales funnels, um, customer service, So there's a lot of different areas that need to go into running a successful business. And we're not all good at all of the things and we don't want to do all of the things. And so you should really figure out for your business what needs to be uniquely done by you, which for a lot of small businesses can be sales. It could be the client relationships that they're managing. It could be the actual practitioner work, depending on the type of business that they have. Um, and then figure out what are the things that still need to get done. So they are maybe not urgent, but important. They could be urgent and important. Do you follow that whole Eisenhower matrix deal? Sure. Yeah. 
Um, so what are the things necessary to maintain my business and then to grow it that don't necessarily need to be done by me? And then how do I go about fulfilling those, uh, roles in my business so that I freed up to really concentrate on the stuff that honestly impacts the bottom line when it comes to ROI. So there's a few different ways that you can think about that. You can think about here are some tasks that I'm doing that I could pay somebody, you know, 25, $30 an hour to do when my time is worth $100 plus an hour and I'm really then profiting by that $75 an hour if I'm increasing the work that I do for $100 an hour. You can also look at it from a standpoint of, you know, freeing up time so that you have a better work-life balance um, so that you're able to attend kids' activities or it could be also job satisfaction. So when we were talking about our own career history, there were parts of those roles that we didn't really enjoy in personal finance. Um, you know, so in a business like that or another business, there are things that again need to be done, but maybe they just kind of suck your mental energy. And if you can get somebody that likes to do them or at least doesn't hate them and is good at it, it can (laughs) really help your overall mentality towards your business and your enjoyment factor as well. So what are some objections people have when they start thinking about a VA, what are some things that pop into people's minds that make them hesitant? Yeah, I think the biggest like stereotype is that it's cheap labor and it's overseas, um, which can be the case, but it's not 100% true by any means. And then the other being um, that they don't want to give up control. They have a hard time delegating and allowing somebody else to do something because they're more of a perfectionist mentality. So let's explore the type and caliber of virtual assistants that exist. Um, So Horky Handbook Services, our community is mainly built up of people in North America. So there are people in the United States and in Canada, Western Europe, Australia, and New New Zealand are pretty popular areas for us. Um, And there's kind of four different types of students that we target our messaging and marketing to. There are, uh, and they can be female or male. I might use the female verbiage a little bit more. But think about your stay-at-home mom, your stay-at-home parents that are looking to bring some extra income into the household. So their husband is mainly supporting them, but there are things that they want to fund, maybe pay off debt, go on vacations, extra curriculars for the kids, whatever. And they have some time that they also want to feel is purposeful because sometimes when you're Uh, running kids around all day, you're not as stimulated, right? Especially if you were used to being in the workforce. And so there's one group of people, another group of people, maybe they stayed home with their kids, but their husband or spouse is expecting them to return to the workforce once those kids are in school. Uh, So maybe they had a previous career and now they have this career gap on their resume, uh, but they, you know, have a bachelor's or a master's degree. They have, um, you know, experience and skills to bring to the table. There are another pool of people that are career changers like myself. And I kind of told my story earlier. So definitely uh, need to earn a full time income and want to do something that's meaningful, purposeful, passionate. And then the third area would be maybe recent retirees. So we're seeing kind of an epidemic in the workforce today that, you know, companies might downsize or um, just transition the way they're doing business, which uh, lays off a bunch of people in the 55 plus category that they're not really ready to retire. Uh, They either want or need to earn an income or maybe they've recently retired and they just need supplemental income or they just want, again, that purpose because as humans, we don't do so well when we have 
a huge purpose in our life and then it completely goes away overnight. Right. You know, you probably know these statistics about, uh, especially men, recent retirees within like five years, there's a huge percentage of them that actually die. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of qualified people out there that want to put their skills and talents to good use supporting other business owners. And it's just great because there's doesn't have to be this, you know, nine to five cubicle life answer for this type of thing. And so what should somebody consider if they are when they're hiring a VA, especially factoring in the global marketplace like you touched on? Because, you as you said, there's cheap labor in some other places that may not may or may not be of the quality that we're talking about. So how does somebody factor that all in? Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things is cost of living is just so uh, different in the Philippines versus the United States, for example. So I think like their minimum wage over there might be like $2 an hour where ours is between 10 and 15 or whatever currently. Um, so if they're getting paid like $8 an hour, that's a four time multiplier of what the average minimum wage is in the, their area. And they can do quite well off of that. Um, so there are people that are in those types of markets that have great skills, that have a great educational background and potentially some experience. Um, and then there's other people that are just, you know, looking to get started and maybe don't have those skills and things yet, but know that they can market themselves as a cheaper alternative. Um, so, you know, there's good... I'm not going to say good or bad. There's just people out there all across the world with various skill sets and experience and various costs of living. Um, you know, some things to consider if you are a U.S. based company and you need somebody that, you know, writes and speaks fluent English, that might be important to you. You might like having somebody in a similar time zone than you. You might prefer to have somebody in an opposite time zone than you because when you're sleeping, they're doing work. And then you get to pick up and do that work in the morning as well. So I think you just kind of have to consider your own business and, and what your needs are and what your preferences are when working with somebody. Just list down some maybe personality attributes or the time zone thing and um, start there. You can also take a look at your budget and the things that you're looking to hire out for. And by kind of figuring out those details, it's easier to find somebody that fits that criteria. And I'll give you an example that's opposite of, of taking on help and hiring a team member. But um, one of the businesses that I'm looking into requires a, a real estate investment into an actual residential home. And um, we weren't really in the standpoint of needing to buy, but we went and looked at some properties and just going out there and being able to see the places in person and being able to kind of come up with a description for what would be an ideal fit based on other details that we were learning as far as like the coding in the area from the city, that sort of stuff. Um, it was just like, now we know exactly what we want when it's time to make that purchase. Does that, is that clear? Yes, very much so. Thank you for okay. sharing. Yeah. So can you help connect people to VAs? Yeah. Yep. So there's several ways that you can go about hiring help. Um, you can, you know, look into your own natural uh, network of people, friends, family members, colleagues, peers, that sort of thing. Uh, some people have a rule of not doing business with friends and family. That's totally your prerogative. 
second area that you can go and look for people is if you do have a platform and an audience already like yourself, you might just put a call out to your own community via a newsletter or social media post that you're looking to hire somebody to do X, Y, and Z and to get in contact with you in whatever manner, a Google form or an email if they're interested. The great part about that is typically they're going to be already versed in what it is that you do, who you serve, have an understanding of your business. And then the third option um, could be going to a marketplace site, which is like an Upwork, a Fiverr, you know, and people are per hour, any of those and putting out a a job doc. The downside to that is you're probably going to get flooded with applications um, and they may or may not be qualified and it could be quite time intensive. The other downside would be that if you continue a long-term relationship with that person, the platform will want you to maintain that relationship based on their terms and conditions on their platform. And that means that they're taking a haircut of what you're paying. So the virtual assistant isn't really getting paid their worth and you're kind of overpaying in another Mm -hmm. scenario. And then lastly, we have a free virtual assistant finder service that you can link to in the show notes. So we've got 500 people that are in this community and when people submit um, and we have a form that you fill out that's very good at assessing exactly what your needs are, uh, then we'll put that out in front of our qualified pool of candidates. And on average, I would say you'll receive somewhere between maybe 10 and 20 inquiries about the position. So it's not an over amount um, and it'll help you to get started narrowing down their kind of pitches is what we call them um, for the maybe top two to three people that you want to hop on either a phone call, a Skype call, or even just email back and forth to quote unquote interview them. And then from there, I would recommend starting with either a test project or a trial period, depending on the needs of your business and the services that you're hiring for, because you don't want to get married before you even started dating, right? Right, Exactly. Very low risk way for both parties to come together and try it out and see how they work together and if the deliverable meets expectations and um, they're both feeling value on each side of the fence and then you can move from that one-time project or trial period into something that's more fully fleshed out. And, and by the way, you know, one of the misnomers out there in this space is that you have to, have, you know, be able to have work for somebody for full-time hours or part-time hours. And that's not at all the case. Most of the people that we have coming to us are looking for, you know, two to five hours on a weekly basis to help them with specific tasks or services, or it could be again, that one-time project. So you don't have to feel like you have to have this ongoing budget and it has to be, you know, employ somebody full-time in order to start working with a virtual assistant. And like me, you could decide to work with numerous virtual assistants that have specialized skill sets and kind of form that team. And, you know, I can teach you how to cross train them. We don't have anything uh, like any paid online courses or anything like that. This is just all stuff that I talk about to support entrepreneurs and small business owners. And ultimately it helps me to make my community more successful. So if I can teach them how to start a VA business, I can teach them how to learn specific skills and then I can get them in touch with potential clients. Like it's a pretty sweet deal, right? Yeah, it's amazing. So if somebody wants to find out more about this, do they go to HorkyHandbook.com? Yep, go ahead and do that. And then in the menu bar is find a VA. And then you can go ahead and submit your job posting through there. On the homepage, you can find uh, materials uh, for both becoming a virtual assistant or hiring someone. We have lots of blog posts that cater to both audiences that will give you tangible tips that you can go ahead and, and implement in your business as well. That sounds fantastic. So 
whether you are looking to hire a VA or at least investigate or you're thinking about becoming a VA, either way, go to HorkyHandbook.com and you can find information. Yeah. Perfect. I have one philosophical question that I like to ask people. Okay. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago or insert your own number, let's say 10, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I think I would maybe go back. I feel like, uh, so I started college at 16 because in Minnesota, we have this post-secondary enrollment option, which basically means that you can go to college and the state will pick up that tab. And I came from a rather poor family. You have to be doing it while you're in high school, your junior or senior year. And I took full advantage of that. And so I went full-time to college on campus um, both of those years. I graduated when I was 19. I turned 20 the week later. With my bachelor's, uh, again, so over amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, but when I was figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I didn't have um, a lot of coaching or counseling in that area. So I came from parents that uh, didn't go to college themselves, didn't uh, you know invest in a specialized career or anything like that. So I had to really figure all this out on my own, and I had no idea what to pick out of a hat. That's why I became a psychology major because <laughs> I really kind of fell in love in that in a intimate way with my psychology professor and, you know, his stance and energy around this subject. And so I guess I would just tell myself that uh, you are going to figure out what you want to be more than once in your life. And it is going to evolve over time. And as you change as a person and you learn new skills and you learn things that you're passionate about and you know, encounter people that you would enjoy working with, like give yourself that opportunity to change and pivot based on those factors. Don't think that you're stuck with your first choice and just remain open to the opportunities that might come your way and realize again that like failures and mistakes are parts of your journey that will open the next door. And again, it's a journey and not just this final destination of picking the perfect thing that you need to be when you grow up. I love that. It's a very nice way to put it. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for being on. I appreciate you taking the time. I have learned a lot and I think our listeners out there are going to get a lot of value from this as well. So Gina Horky, thank you for taking some time to share your knowledge with us. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. I can't wait to uh, have some conversations around the topic after it is published. 